so you've been in the stand-up, doing stand-up for about, what, uh, seven or eight years now? Uh, six, oh, 2007 years now. Seven years, wow, that's awesome. And yeah. you've, just, um, you've just been hired on The Daily Show over in, um, in New York uh, on yeah. Comedy Central? Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. How did, um, how did that come about? Um, they, uh, I, I think I haven't been able to confirm it with him yet, but I'm pretty sure Trevor Noah recommended me for the job personally because I got a direct email from them, not through my agent. So it didn't go through the usual channels, meaning someone contacted me directly, meaning someone must have heard of me. And the only person I can think of is Trevor Noah because I, I gigged with him two years ago. Yeah, wow. In uh, Montreal, just for laughs. So I'm pretty sure he put me up for it. Wow, that's amazing. And uh, yeah, so I sent in some audition tapes and um, I got lucky enough to be hired. Happy Dropfest week, friends out there in the coming up next work and welcome to this week's Ramble. My guest this week is a correspondent on The Daily Show over in America. He's an extraordinary stand-up comedian. Coming up next this week, Ronnie Chang. And don't forget, tune in to SBS2 this coming Sunday, the 14th of February at 9pm. Or if you're in Sydney, come on down to Centennial Park. I think the entertainment begins at 3pm for this year's Tropfest. And more specifically, a film called Waste of Time, which will be anything but... And, like, that's the film that I made with some pretty awesome people. So be sure to tune in, check it out, and support local and some international filmmakers. It's pretty cool having something to, uh, to plug on the show other than the show. But for now, I will leave you with my ramble with Ronnie Cheng. Do you find that the, um, the stand-up comedy community is, is quite a... Um a small and, and supportive community in that way? Uh, in Australia? Uh, yes. I think in Australia, the stand-up comedy community nationally is actually quite small. Like, I, everyone knows everyone. Um, in fact, when you see a name you don't recognize anywhere in the country, it actually is like, oh, who is this guy? <laughs> like, 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 honestly, if you're... Like when you're in the game, you you know everyone in the game, or yeah, at sure. least you've you've heard of their name at at the very least. So you'd be like, oh yeah, I've seen that name, yeah, or I've gigged with him, or I know I know his I know who he is, or yeah, um, yeah. So it's very small, and I would say it's pretty supportive. Uh, but I can only speak personally. Uh, but I feel that the. Uh, well, look, uh, as far as the Melbourne comedy scene goes, because that's where I started, uh, I think it's very... I found it to be very... Um, people people at the worst are very... They get envious, but not jealous. Yeah, right. Um, meaning they... If some... They, they might go... If, if someone gets a really cool job or has some success, they might go... Oh, I wish I also got that. But they never go, oh, I wish I got that and he didn't get that. Mm. You know, I mean, which 
Um, I think that's uh, that's what that's that's a cool thing to 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 feel. I mean, it, it sounds negative, but I mean, we all have egos, right? So yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, that there's 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 definitely some element of like, oh man, I wish I could also do that. Mm. But I think Melbourne's pretty good like that. Yeah, that they I I I feel like the in general no one goes i wish i got there and i wish he didn't get there mm, there's nothing um, kind of vindictive um, it's more just yeah, wanting success i think so i think so uh obviously like in any profession there's um people who are not as cool as that um especially when something as personal and ego driven as performing arts is concerned yeah <laughs> um so some people aren't as balanced as that for sure. I mean, you can't overgeneralize, but I think as a whole, uh, sorry, as, as, in general, um, I think that's safe to say. And you came um, at stand-up comedy, just to backtrack a little bit, from a somewhat unconventional uh, road in the sense that you went yeah. to, I mean, you've lived all over the world. You were brought up in, what, about four different countries. Um and then you went to uh, university and did a law degree and a finance degree before starting as a stand-up. Yeah. What was the yeah. uh, what What was that uh, kind of like walking into comedy with um, with that kind of backing? Um it it was a different it was night and day kind of world in the personalities involved because. Uh, law school and I guess it's, to it's some, some to some extent business school, school university but I mean law school especially a lot of like type A personalities who have a certain outlook towards life and a certain measure of success mm. and um, in the live performing art scene it's completely completely different completely different like um, I guess once, once again, overgeneralizing, but uh, having experienced it myself, I think it's fair for me to have an opinion on this. Um, <laughs> I think that uh, as a whole, in general, um, people of type A personality, like law school, business, commerce types, who corporate types, um, we generally we have like five-year plans and we're very risk-adverse and... Um, relatively conservative when it comes to I guess financial risk mm. um, whereas performing arts people don't even think about that at all live performing arts people stand ups I should say it's like they don't even that's not you know they it, where, where are you going to be in five years I mean that's not there's not really a concern in the same way. I no. mean, obviously people want to succeed in stand up, but, but it's night and day, you know, and, mm. and a lot of the stand ups I met weren't really in it for the money per se. Um, they, they, yeah, they, they didn't mind living more modestly and they weren't concerned about, uh, material stuff as much, you know, I think mm. that's safe to say. Yeah. Uh, and how is it for you? I mean, I am, um, my family is Jewish. I was brought up Jewish and, you know, there's a certain expectation, uh, for, um, from my family that I would, you know, uh, go to law school or go to, um, be a doctor or, 
be something more academically driven. And then I went to film school and um, mm. drama school and, uh, mm. you know, 12 years later, find myself um, forging a career as a filmmaker and now a podcaster mm. as well. Um, did you Congratulations, find... by the way. Oh, thanks, man. Um, <laughs> did you find, did you have a similar experience with your family growing up? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, they, I mean, I, oh, man, I hate to, I hate to live up to a stereotype, but yeah, I mean, it was very much, um, uh, at, you know, at, from a very young age, kind of trying to make, determine what kind of profession do you want? And no matter what you said, they would just try to steer into medicine. Um, <laughs> I remember my my dad asked me what I like to do. I was I was four years old. My dad said, "What do you like to do?" And I said, uh, "I think I really like computers." And he goes, "Because we had this MS DOS computer in my house. Oh, yeah. uh, this is like 1990." And um, my dad goes, "Oh yeah, then you want to be an engineer. You want to be like a computer engineer." And I was like, "Yeah, I guess I want to be a computer engineer." Like that's the first time I ever heard that word engineer, yeah. right? So I'm like, oh, "Yeah, I'll be a computer engineer." And then over the he spent the next like. 10 years trying to grind it out of me <laughs> um, <laughs> into medicine. I just couldn't do medicine. So I, I did the next best thing, I guess. Uh, I tried, I got into law school. I was doing that. And um, uh, I did undergraduate law school. So I don't know, as a 18, 19 year old, you don't really know what you want to do, but you just, if I don't know, you get the marks to get into this supposedly really elite program that's hard to get into, so you just kind of take it because mm. you figure, hey, it's hard to get in, so you just do it. And at the time, obviously, you think you're going to be, this is it for you, like this is what it's going to be, and it's, it's, it's all very exciting, and you do it. And I had a decent time at law school. I wasn't, um, I wasn't a very good student, though, but I had a decent time, I think. I, I don't regret going at all. Mm. Um, yeah, mm. so there's definitely, sorry to answer your question. Yeah, it's definitely that kind of pressure. And then, um, uh, I, I finished law school and then, uh, I couldn't get a job. So I kept doing stand up, and, uh, that stand up was going like stand up was like the best thing going for me in my life at the time. It was like, um, I couldn't get interviews. I couldn't get, uh, I, I couldn't compete with all these other high achieving A pers A type personalities mm. um in law school. Um but I was doing stand up and it was like a different world. I felt like I could just ignore that whole that whole um the pressure of that whole world and just do my own thing in stand up. Um and uh and, and plus I was making progress in it. So I just kept doing it and then you know, one thing, one gig led to another gig, and um, six years later, you're on the Daily Show. That's, a, that's incredible, man. Yeah. It's, it's quite yeah. an extraordinary um, journey. Yeah. yeah, I think it, anything you, I mean, you've you've gone through a similar journey. If any, before I forget, I just want to say I feel like one of the things I wish I could go back and tell myself is just you know that different. You never know where the door opens. Mm. Um, and um, really, we should. I mean, we, we. What what this is really about is about achieving goals which aren't easily um, seen. 
uneasily visualize like the path. Because if you go a corporate route, you can visualize how you can make partner. If you're trying a court case, you can visualize how you can win the case. Like you might not always win the case, you might not make partner, but at least you can see the path to, towards that. Mm. Whereas with like uh, creative industries, I feel like you can't really see the path a lot of the time. And I wish someone had told me how to how how to push forward, even if you can't see the end goal. Because mm. that's the the scariest thing. And I mean, the context of this is that uh, your final year of law school is kind of when everyone gets a job. So all these type A personalities are hyper competitive with getting these top tier jobs um, from you know these top tier law firms and it's you have to be really good to get them you have to have good marks and you have to interview well and you know it's a it's a real process and and only a select few few get them so the last kind of year of law school gets really uptight like that and so that's the context of which i started doing stand-up if that makes sense yeah 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 yeah. it's really inspiring man it's uh it's a very um it's it's a great great piece of advice to give people. How did you, or how do you? I should probably say, um, manage to keep keep on going when um, when the going gets tough, when you can't see the path ahead of you. Yeah, I mean, I I don't want to talk like I have all the answers because I definitely don't have all the answers. Like I'm still figuring this out myself as we go along. Um, but I think, and it's easy to say, you know, once you've had some wins and some success is easy to kind of look back and go oh man that wasn't so bad but i get it man in the moment it's hard there's like there's nothing you could tell you you could have told me at certain points where i was like there's no way this is gonna work out or there's nothing you could tell me to make me feel better i still feel that anxiousness you know so i get it you know anxiousness you can't really um i don't know some people are better at managing it than others um some people are more risk adverse i mean i'm I, i'm trained to be a bit more risk adverse so that's why the anxiousness of like how how are you supposed to succeed in this game like i don't know or i mean what what i i what it's it's this sounds kind of this sounds kind of wanky like <laughs> but um but i i i do like talking to uh, high schoolers about this i've been asked to talk to my old foundation studies college and university because i went through trinity college at melbourne university it's basically a pre-u course yeah right and they asked they asked me back to talk to the kids so talking to pre-u students so that that year i guess for you in australia you would call it year 12 students but Mm. this is this isn't year 12 students it's something else but it's the equivalent of year 12 students it's what i went to to go to university in australia um, and I went back to just talk to them about this. And um, I, I do like talking about it because I can remember how scary it is. I mean, I still feel scared. So I can mm. relate to how scary it is to not know what you want to do and being asked, being be, feel like you're expected to do a certain thing and you're not quite sure what's going on and you don't know what the future holds, you know. Uh, and what I usually, what I, what I told them was that I just said that like, it's, it's very hard to see, see where the... the opportunities are like you never know where one door leads to another door so you just kind of take it one at a time and you you know you you take opportunities when you can and and you never know where it leads i'm sure i'm sure you found that i mean you're in the same well well, almost in the same gig Mm. in the same industry like you never know you take one job and then it leads to another job and leads to another job assuming you're not a piece of shit of course (laughs) um yeah assuming you're assuming you're a good person who 
you know is good at what they do or at, or at the very least willing to learn how to improve at what you what do, do you know, know but, but yeah as long as, long as you're not a complete, complete you know as long as you're not an asshole yeah as long as you're not a dick like usually one one opportunity leads to another one leads to another one leads to another one mm. and, yeah you just you it's, it, yeah yeah i was um, uh i was living in new york uh five years ago and i came back thinking i was gonna move over there with my girlfriend at the time and pursue yeah. acting and then i got a job um uh, making a documentary for a um a charity event that was going to be traveling all around australia and you know that ended up being something that kind of stretched over a few years and then we eventually did the um the event um it was i'm not sure if you you heard about it it was a um samuel johnson unicycling around australia Um, oh yeah 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 so I, i went with him on that and made a doco about it and that then just opened a whole lot of um, opportunities because I ended up doing, you know, shooting stuff uh, for the project on a weekly kind right. of basis. And then when I came back, I, you know, um, spent most of last year doing freelance work with them, which then led to other jobs. And it's all, it all just kind of snowballs from being open right. to whatever comes your way. There you go. So you came back right around when we did problems together then. No, we hadn't, um, we hadn't actually left at that point in, Sam said to 2012 me, we did it 2012 right yeah yeah Sam said to me in 2011 um that he was going to do this thing for his sister who'd been diagnosed with the terminal um terminal breast cancer mm. and uh it then took about 18 months to get off the ground to get the sponsorship and everything um sorted out Yep. So I think when we did problems was about three months before um, before Sam left. Right. And it's coming up to three years since departure. Yeah. It's crazy yeah. to think about. Two years since we got back. Yeah. yeah. What? Um, how long were you living in New York for? I was there for a few months uh, at the fir- in the first instance. But the plan was it was kind of like a testing ground. Um I went over yeah. there. I did some study at um, the Lee Strasberg Institute. Um, Whoa! As an actor. that's no joke. No, it was, uh, it was it was it was pretty serious business at the time, and yeah. um, and then I I came back uh, as as I was saying before. Essentially, I came back to get my girlfriend at the time, and um, yeah. and then she and I were going to go and live over there together yeah. indefinitely. And then when Sam offered me this job, it was sort of like, well do I really want to just keep studying or do I want to actually take work? Do some stuff. You know, yeah. do some stuff. And living yeah. in New York had been a dream of mine for a long time, yeah. but I kind of put that yeah. to a side. My girlfriend and I ended up breaking up. I ended up quitting the yeah. job that I was doing and it just became, you know, a, a devotion to the craft. Well, well man, you, you've been to, you've, so yeah, you've been through your own struggles. So, yeah, definitely. I remember there was a point yeah. in time when I looked at my bank account and I think I had 48 cents or something in my bank account and it was like, right. wow, okay, really got to go all right. in with this sort of stuff. I mean, I mean, I, I never had it terrible, but I, I'm sure people have had it much worse than me, but there was one point when I, I, I was like eating moldy bread. So I, I, yeah, I get it. I, I think I actually put myself through that on purpose just to see what it, <laughs> just to have the story. 
Well, uh, yeah, I mean, to have the story of that, but also just, just to have that, um, yeah, just that, uh, to understand that, that struggle, mm. you know? Yeah, I think yeah. I'm, I think I'm similar. Um, you know, throughout all this, I have had very difficult periods, but I've also had, you know, the support of my parents and my family all the way through. Right. So I can't right. really complain right. too much. It's not as if I've right. been out on the street or. No, no, same. That's what I meant. But I didn't want to exaggerate my own difficulties, but definitely had, you know, like uh, I went through my own kind of struggles. I mean, sounds kind of spoiled, but yeah. Yeah, um, but I think it's just, rel- I think just... it's all relative to your own experience of the universe. Going back to your stand-up um, kind of journey, I guess. Do you remember yeah. when you did kind of take the plunge into comedy from law? And I feel like having the kind of concurrent careers probably helped take the pressure off uh, being a successful stand-up because you were focused on something else. So the stand-up was probably a lot more of a kind of free, act, I don't want to say activity, but more of a, a free uh, kind of career path. Um. Yeah, I mean, you, I can see why you would think that on paper. Uh, in, in reality, I, I started stand-up uh, in my final year of university in 2009. So I, ha- I wasn't working yet. I was studying in the day and I was doing stand-up at night and uh, I was just getting to a groove of it. So I was doing one gig a month and I thought that was a lot of gigs, uh, but it, it wasn't. Like one gig <laughs> a month is like nothing. So yeah. um, I was I was doing gigs and I, I, I had some really, I had some good breaks. Like I got to the, uh, some, the finals of some competitions and stuff and uh, it was going well, so I had enough street cred where I could get bookings. I could get more and more gigs, and none of that, none of this in Melbourne, none of this really pays. So you know, um, I was, I was studying, yeah, yeah, I was studying in the day and then uh, doing stand up at night. And I graduated, and I kept doing stand up. And um, uh, my excuse, so to speak, was that I was getting qualified because you have to pass the bar in uh, Melbourne. And I just took my time with the bar. So I was still studying. So the whole time I was just studying. So I wasn't, I never worked at a law firm and then did stand up at night and then had to pick between the two. I was always studying and doing stand up. And so as far as I was concerned, stand up was like my first actual job. Hmm. Yeah. So I never had to have that. Like it wasn't really a fallback, like in the sense that I didn't have, I wasn't working full time while doing stand up. Like I had no, I had no job. I was just doing stand up. Mm. Yeah, well, that's awesome, man. That you were able to make a living and um, forge a career out of something that you're really passionate about and that you love. Right. Um, yeah, it's, dude. It's 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 it, it can be a job sometimes, man. It can be yeah. it, like all jobs, you know. Yeah. It's not. It's not always as 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 I'm sure you know. It's not always awesome. It's. It, sometimes it can be a, it can be working. Sometimes it sucks, and um, but uh, yeah, most of the time it's 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 great. And um, stand, it's comedy is one of those weird things that it, it's it's a very harsh mistress. Like it demands everything from you. It, it it takes up all your time. It takes up your livelihood. It takes up your attention. Uh, you're working at night, and uh, so you never see your friends. And you'll be on the road a lot. If you're successful, then you start touring. 
which means you're on the road a lot more and you see even less of your friends. And um, uh, I've always been kind of a loner, so I'm okay with that. Like it fit my personality type. Uh, but even for me, it gets, you know, it can get tough sometimes. Um, but uh, yeah, it's addictive, man. Try to make people laugh. It can get addictive if you, if you do it well, if you do it right can get pretty addictive mm, you feel like um like laughter and, and comedy is almost a currency that you that people can trade in i would say so i i feel like it's like stand i feel stand-up comedy is like alchemy because you're literally creating something from nothing mm. there's nothing you just got a microphone which is essentially just your voice and you go you 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 don't have any instruments, you don't have any props. I mean, I know some comics use those, and and that that's that's fine. I'm just saying, at its core, it's kind of like you're trying to make uh, a room full of people who are expecting to laugh laugh. Like yeah. that's the hard, <laughs> one of the hardest things I can think of. And and yeah, you're spinning out of nothing. Like that's alchemy. Mm. Do you feel like you're kind of you start on the back foot when uh, when there's the expectation there? Um. Uh, I guess I guess you you can say that. Um, I mean, as compared to what, like having a normal conversation where you suddenly say something funny. Like, I guess. I guess, I guess so. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard. Yeah, you're definitely on the back foot in stand up for sure. Yeah, that's fair to say. Yeah, it's a hard thing to do i mean everything's hard you know making films is, is hard playing an instrument is hard acting is hard so mm. everything has its difficulty um stand-up's no different i mean stand-up's pretty hard as well mm. Mm. yeah i guess i guess um you, it requires so much presence and so much uh um nous with comedy and making people yeah. laugh and connecting people in that way is such a joy um, but there's, sure. I think there's also a lot of because of um, how connected everything is through social media and the internet. There's probably yeah. a lot of cynicism where people are coming in uh, yeah. wanting to laugh but expecting to be disappointed. Oh, okay, yeah, I guess that's fair to say. I was just thinking about this two days ago. I was trying to write a bit about it about how I think I actually have written a bit about it like previously, but um, about how it's. It's very easy to be cynical and it's very it's very easy to hate like it's easy it's so easy to to believe something isn't going to work because without knowing any details you know the probability is whatever someone's trying to do is not going to work because doing cool things is hard yeah. so <laughs> it, it's just easy to doubt people it's easy to doubt and it's easy to be cynical um, and it's also easy to be maliciously hateful just for the kicks mm. with social media. So there's that aspect as well. Um, and it's easy to disrupt other people's plans because it's, you know, so many moving parts to make something work properly. Uh, I'm talking filmmaking. I'm talking live performance. There's a lot of moving parts. And so all you need is one, someone to throw a monkey wrench into a crucial part at one time whether it's heckling or whether it's like walking in front of the camera or whatever it is, and then the whole thing's messed up. So it's like destruction and hate is easy. <laughs> yeah, it is. So, yeah, so in that sense, yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah, you face it. I'm getting better at dealing with it. Um, uh, like, 
there's cynicism and hatred from other people. Um, learning to deal with it, learning to take it a little less personally. Uh, I'm still learning, but I'm I'm way better than I was before. I think. At, mm, I think in uh, that I, stuff. Yeah, I think that's an important lesson for anyone in um in a creative yeah. field or really anything. Even if you're in business, if someone doesn't yeah. like your product, it's not a personal yeah, yeah. commentary on you. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I do a bit. I do a bit about this in my second comedy hour, uh, which is available for download on Gumroad. Uh, RyanChang.com uh, <laughs> but it's about um, how excellent uh, yeah people can be people can hate and it's important to acknowledge that it bothers you I mean you don't have to acknowledge it publicly but just understand that it's bothering you and then learn to deal with it I think mm. rather than pre- pretending it doesn't bother you and then having it I don't know like like um what's the word like gather inside you mm. <laughs> like fester inside you yeah mm. it takes it takes no skill at all to find what's wrong in a situation i think so yeah i think that's fair to say i think uh with anything i mean you know point solutions or the positivity is harder than negativity and cynicism i think mm. <laughs> Do you do you find uh, or do you personally um, do you practice uh, any sort of positivity or anything like that to keep yourself out of that world? No, no, I hate everything, and it's uh, it's really bad. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm getting better at it though. I mean, I think honestly, uh, being on the creative side of things helps you appreciate everything else a lot more. Mm. Like everything from sports to like um, business ideas. Uh, anything because before you start making something for yourself man i when when i was younger i used to i used to watch television or watch athletes and be like man this this man this basketball player sucks or man this tv show sucks man this idea this this presentation that this guy just pitched this idea on tv and it's so stupid and it sucks you know and this guy's stupid and this guy on television is stupid you know um and uh i mean i i'm not i'm not a happy go lucky person right now but at the same time i i understand like the difficulty in making stuff so i like i appreciate effort a lot more so if i if i watch sports i'm like hey that athlete might be the worst basketball player in the nba but he's still better than 99% of the world at playing basketball and he works hard and he goes to practice every day and he tries his best and you know so even if you in the course of watching a sporting event you go oh man that guy made a bad play or whatever i still give them the respect of like being a professional athlete and making sacrifices and you know what they had to go through to get to where they were like i get that now because you make something for yourself so i mean part of my joke was that everyone should go make something of themselves first before they are allowed to comment on anything. Because once you start making something, then you know, oh shit, you know, it's not easy, man. Mm. And, um, you know, you, you don't you don't have to like everything, but I think you should at least give credit where credit is due when people, you know, have sacrificed a lot or have put in effort to make something work. I mean, obviously, if they haven't put in any effort and something is terrible, then, you know, by all means, call them out. How do you how um 
how do you develop your your bits? Uh, yeah, I've always been intrigued by how comedians uh, are, are influenced by the things that they see in the world and the experiences that 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 they have. And you have a very well established voice now, I think, as a stand up comedian, and your humor. Oh, and your comedy style is really grounded in uh, very intelligent stuff, um, which I assume. Oh, thanks. No, it's a pleasure, man. That th- thank you for uh, for putting it out in the world. I um, I was watching one of your bits earlier uh, today um, uh, on YouTube. It was uh, about how much internet piracy has cost the states, and I rarely laugh out loud, but that bit made me laugh out loud. It was very, very, uh, very clever. Oh, thanks a lot. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I don't know. Some of this stuff, you know, it, 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 you, you see it happen and then it makes you laugh and then you write it down. And then you try to get it so that you can tell it to other people so they, they, they can laugh without having to have been there. Mm. And then, um, um, uh, yeah, sometimes it works and most of the time it doesn't. <laughs> and then you, and you just keep at it or you move on to other stuff. I mean, yeah, it's hard, man. <laughs> Stand up is hard. Yeah, yeah. M- mostly you just end up writing stuff down a lot and then trying to phrase it the right way. And, mm. and um, yeah. I was going to ask um, yeah. how important it is it to write all of your ideas down? Um, I think it's a shame if you don't write down a good idea. Mm. Uh, if you, uh, I mean, a lot of the time, what seems like a good idea in the moment, like you read it, a couple hours later, and you're like, oh, I'm not sure if that was really that good. But every once in a while, you get the solid one, and you, you know, it hits. So you you gotta write it down so you you so just for the hits, mm. for that that ten percent of the time when it's a hit, you know, you gotta yeah. write it down. Um, but uh, yeah, so I've got bad memory as well, so I just write it down just so I because the worst thing is trying to remember like a good idea you had. It's, you can't remember it, so I just mm. write it down. Especially now, we all have phones now. There's no excuse, right? Yeah, exactly. We're all on our phones anyway. You might as well write it down. Yeah. Mm. I um, yeah. I, I whenever people ask me about writing, which um is not that regular, but when it does happen, <laughs> um. <laughs> You know, I, I, I'm always kind of, I've always been of that belief that you've got to write all the ideas down, even the ones that you do think are shit, because you've got to sift through all the, um, all the shit to get to the gold sometimes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think I when you write that. things down, it creates more space in your, in your mind for other oh. ideas to come out. Yeah. That's a great way of putting it. I never, I never thought of it like that, but that's, that's, yeah, I a hundred percent agree with that. Mm. Um, that being said, we all work differently. So I don't know. I write down premises, but I don't really write jokes from start to finish down. Uh, I write a lot on stage. So I try it out on stage and that's usually where I get my best bits. But some people write it down from start to finish. You know, yeah, everyone's kind of different like that. Mm. But uh, definitely that initial premise, I have to write it down. I mean, yeah, how would you not write down the initial premise like you can't remember every single premise you had but again hey some people everyone's different man so i don't know Mm. what was it like for you to um i guess after uh four or five years of doing the stand-up thing you get to um open for dave Chappelle. oh right yeah what was that like oh it was awesome yeah he 
um, very I was very lucky to be asked to to do it. Um, and the person who asked me to do it, who was touring Dave Chappelle, had absolutely no reason to do so. There was no benefit in it for her, and and um, she didn't need to do that, but she. She liked my comedy and she asked me to do it. So I, you know, it all I owe that, all that to her. Um, uh, and uh, it was cool. And we weren't even sure if it was going to happen because Dave Chappelle is a interesting personality. And up until the moment which he gives the okay, um, uh. Yeah, you don't know. He's a, he's very much a live in the moment kind of guy. He's not kind of calculating, you know, his entire tour like fifty steps in advance. So, in the moment, he you know he 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 would make the decision in the moment who is opening for him. And I was just told to come, and the idea was that I was going to open for him. There's a small chance that he might not want that on the day, but just come anyway, obviously. Uh, and I went, and he was the nicest person on the planet. So, and it went, it, it went, um, it all went ahead. And it wasn't like he had to sit down with me and like vet me. It was just in the moment he 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 just decides things in the moment. And um, he's a very profound guy. Uh, he's very well spoken and he's very kind to uh, stand-ups, especially um, stand-ups just starting out. Uh, very gives a lot of advice, um, and he's very well read. Uh, and he, uh, I gave him as much space as I could backstage. Like I didn't try to, like crowd, or, you know, crowd up in his grill. I didn't try to take photos of him or anything. I just, you know, left him be. Um, I would speak to him sometimes. After every show, he would have this after party at some awesome club, and I would go along, and um, we would talk, and you know. But very much, I kept, I kept, I gave him his space as much space as I could give him, and um, he was very kind. And I and I see him. I'm very lucky. Sometimes I see him in Montreal. Um, I saw him in Montreal this year, and he remembered who I was, and he hung out, and it, it was cool. Um, yeah, yeah. So he's 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 a good guy. Yeah, Dave Chappelle is a good guy. He's very he's a very, I think after having seen him, after having toured with him live first of all, so I got to see him every night and watching him also his videos of him um, in the time since I toured with him uh, and also older videos of him. I think he is uh, one of the more uh, one of the most talented stand-ups. Uh, it sounds dumb for me to say that because it's like saying you know Michael Jordan's one of the best basketball players, but he he's got he's got some. Uh, I don't get too technical here, but he does some stuff which I've it's I've haven't I don't see a lot of people able to do. Um, I've seen him uh, do his set in a different order every single night and still have callbacks. Um, I don't know how he does that. Because normally when you have callbacks, when you know your order of your jokes, so you can call back, make a callback to your previous jokes. Um, but he, he, he does his jokes in a different order, but he still has the callback. So I don't know how he does that. And also, um, he off the cuff, he's one of the greatest comics, stand-up comics ever, off the cuff. Because he came into, 
he does surprise sets. He's legendary for dropping in and doing surprise sets. I got to see him do one of these in Montreal. He drops in unannounced. Everyone goes crazy. And he stays on stage for at least an hour. I mean, he's been known to go six hours. Wow. But he goes, like, he, he goes, he, he goes at least one hour off the cuff just talking about stuff that happened to him that day or talking to people in the audience. And he just kills it. He he's extremely profound, and it, it it's he. I don't people. I don't think people. Everyone knows he's great, but I don't think people know how good he is. Um, just how talented he is to be able to do what he does. Yeah, it's 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 very remarkable. Mm. What do you think that sort of thing boils down to? I mean, he's obviously incredibly alive yeah, and present, and yeah, just in the zone. Yeah. Yeah, he's in a zone. Um, I don't know what it is. I mean, a lot of that is natural ability. A lot of that is experience. Um, he's been doing it a long time. And also, uh, he's lived a long time. And he's gone to see a lot of stuff. But I don't know. That's, a lot of that seems to be natural. Uh, feels like natural talent. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I wish I knew. I wish I knew. What, what, <laughs> what the how, formula I wish was. I knew. Yeah, I wish I knew how he did that. I don't know how he does that. I mean, I, I think experience has a lot to do with it. Um, but, uh, yeah, his ability to go off the cuff, I mean, I I don't know. It's the way his neural pathways fire. I, I don't know. Mm, I, um, yeah. I think it's very important when you have experiences like that uh, to maintain, as you say, that kind of humility and that, um, I guess, humble nature where, you know, you're not making it about you and you're not making it about you meeting this uh, amazing artist or this amazing oh. Oh, person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sure. And I think, you know, like you say, it's really important to kind of give them that space and to uh, um, let, let, let things just uh, unravel as they do. And I think it's yeah. awesome that you got the opportunity to hang out with him. I'm, I, I, be very curious to hear what some of the advice he gave you was. Oh, um, he said um, at the at the end, he told me um, at the end of the tour, he told me um, he, he he was telling me about uh, Muhammad Ali's um, manager and what um, and what happened between the two of them, and he told me that to read this book. Uh, which I, which the, the, you know, the woman I told you who got me on the tour, mm. she, she actually ended up buying the book for me and sending it to me for Christmas <laughs> or something, which is awesome. That's awesome. Uh, it's, it's called King, King of the World. And it's a, one of the many Muhammad Ali autobiographies. And anyway, the, the, one of the things he said was that, um, Muhammad Ali said, uh, rumble, young man, rumble. And he told me. He was like, and that's what I'm saying to you guys right now. Rumble, young man, rumble. And he never really explained that. And I think, uh, I think what he's saying is, um, you know, it's no guarantee of success in anything, but just keep fighting the good fight, mm. you know. And you're gonna, you're gonna um, have challenges, and you're gonna have people who hate you or whatever challenges you might face, industry challenges or whatever, but. Just keep fighting and you know play fight to win. I guess. I guess I, I think that's what he meant. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> read too much into it, but that's one of the things he told me. Um, 
And other than that, what else was he telling me? Uh, that was the last thing he told me. So it kind of stuck a, stuck in my brain probably a lot more. Mm. Um, yeah. He's quite an enigmatic character, I imagine. Oh, yeah. He's very, yeah, he's a very cool guy to be around. Mm. There's, yeah. there's, there seems to be a lot like a lot of those. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot in a lot of industries, but I think comedy uh, allows enigmatic type people to really flourish and <laughs> let their hair down, so to speak. Yeah, you think so, but I think some people, some people take that for granted. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. Yeah, I think some people think that um, just by being weird, either they're entitled to be weird or that their weirdness is um, like a, a, a Im- immediately and guaranteed quirk for performing, which is not it's not always true. No, and I I, yeah. <laughs> I um, the reason the reason that I kind of brought that segue up was because um, when we were working on problems, it was kind of my first real experience of um of this kind of surreal uh surrealist and kind of enigmatic comedy um that sam simmons brings to the table and i i I imagine that there's uh like you say there's probably a lot of people that think that you know being quirky or being a bit surrealist is a is a meal ticket but then you get someone yeah. like Sam who is just in this kind of zone um, yeah. where, where true. and you just, you just never know what's going to happen. I imagine he, a lot of the stuff it's that true. you guys were doing was, was a bit, was off the cuff sort of between takes. Yo, uh, what, what was yo, your experience stuff, of working with him like? Yeah. First of all, Sam, like that was my first TV experience too. So I was very much, you know, completely out of my comfort zone. I didn't know what I was doing. Sam gave me the shot, so I'm always gonna owe Sam a lot. You know, he he's been always really supportive of my comedy ever since I started. Uh, which I it's it's weird because I wouldn't have thought that I'll be his comedy type. I mean, you know, I'm just I go on stage and I tell like Chinese dick jokes, and he he's doing all this stuff. So like I the fact that he enjoys my comedy is just for me it's just really flattering and. Um, he uh so yeah definitely in between takes he um he would improv a lot of the stuff and you were expected to kind of keep up with him or he expected you to keep up with him and um uh yeah he's a very unique comedy mind and he he makes it look like he it's just messing around, but he's not, you know, he, it takes a, definitely takes a skill set to do what he does. And, um, he breaks all the rules because he, I think he understands the rules. Um, and a lot of people, I think they just try to break the rules without really knowing why they're doing it or, you know, whatever it is. So I, I definitely agree with that. Um, yeah. So he put you, he put you in a, uh, in a cat suit and called you Mr. Miyagi. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Breaking the lycra. Yeah, I mean, uh, he had a vision for the show, and um, he he said he didn't want it to look like anything that would belong on Channel Nine. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> well, it certainly didn't he, look like it belonged on Channel Nine. Definitely, yeah. Um, Very unique show. 
I mean, yeah. I think people who watch that TV show, everyone got something out of it. As far as I could tell, everyone got something out of that show, as in audience members. And what was interesting was that everyone seemed to like different parts of it. Mm. So that was genius in uh, all the different parts. Even if you didn't appreciate every single segment, like someone else would like the segment that you didn't like, it was weird. Yeah. Yeah, I I was very proud to uh, have worked on the show, even even yeah. a small part that I played. Right. Um, and now he's uh, he's doing amazing stuff internationally. Yeah, he's killing it. He's killing it. Yeah, mm. just won uh, that show at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, which is no joke. I mean, that's, that's like the biggest you know. award you can win in comedy, isn't it? I think so. At least in um, uh, comedy festival comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so after supporting Dave Chappelle. In 2014, you got to support Bill Burr in 2015. Did did you feel like you were gathering some momentum at that point? Yeah, I was. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, I was definitely definitely on a list of like these are the uh, guys who are doing quite well at the moment. So, um, I say a list. I mean an unofficial list. Um, like I, but the thing with Bill was that he contacted me directly, so no one put me up for that gig. You know, mm. he he actually contacted me directly out of the blue, uh, and on Facebook of all places. And I didn't actually actually believe it was him. Yeah, right. I thought I thought it was some I thought it was a prank, and um, yeah, he just said he saw my stand up on a on a plane, and he hoped we would get to work together sometime. And I said, well. I, I live in Australia, but yeah, I, hopefully I, if I move to the US, I, hopefully I can work with you soon. And he was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to tour Australia and I hope you can be part of that show. I'd be like, oh, that'd be awesome. And so like a year later, he toured Australia and I opened for him then. Yeah. Wow. And, um, yeah. So a lot of your kind of big hits have happened um, directly. Yeah. But that's that goes to show, man, like 90% of this business is you get recommended through friends through peers in the industry you know what i mean mm, word of mouth yeah word of mouth and um of other content creators yeah i think um i think a lot of people in creative endeavor who are lucky enough to get an agent often yeah. sit around uh saying why isn't my agent doing anything i i used to do that as well i was you know number yeah. one um, yeah. person who would do that and then in the last couple of years uh, I've st- I, I, I realized that you know your agent's only getting what 10 15 or 20 percent of your paycheck they should you know so that means that I should be doing 80 85 or 90 percent <laughs> yeah um, I mean I've been guilty of that as well so I agree with you yeah mm. um mm. So one of the things that I that I really enjoy talking to people about on this show is um, is their kind of religious or spiritual beliefs. Uh oh. <laughs> we don't have to talk yeah. about it if you don't want to. Um, no, you, let's do it. Um, being uh, as I was saying to you earlier, uh, I was brought up in a Jewish household. Um, you know, we we we're not conservative or orthodox in our religious beliefs. And uh, I certainly wouldn't consider myself nowadays to be Jewish 
uh, in a religious sense. Definitely, yeah. there are a lot of traditions that we upkeep, um, like family dinners and Passover and um, things yeah. like that. But I certainly yeah. would consider myself these days to be much more spiritual, um, which you know this podcast is part um, creative endeavor, part spiritual journey. Uh, yeah. What was your experience like growing up? Um, was there any kind of religious uh, inclination with your family and have you carried that no. through in your work? Yeah, no, not really. Um, they tried to, they got me into like a very, very Christian church preschool. Um, I was there for a year when I was three to four years old. But after that, didn't, could not could not care about religion mm. they yeah they um yeah they the, i think my dad was like his mom was very devout christian and his dad was taoist and my dad just ended up being quite agnostic and then eventually completely atheist now i think yeah wow and my mom my mom was like the traditional Chinese Taoist Buddhism. Um, and so she'll pray sometimes and she'll do some of the rituals and the cultural uh, traditions sometimes, uh, like go, you know, burning incense at a temple or whatever it is, but uh, never asked me to do any of that stuff really. And like 99% of the time does not it does not influence her life yeah (laughs) so yeah it's just um pretty much free thinkers the whole way through yeah wow and um yeah I started kind of discovering Buddhism on my own in university uh and I'm trying I'm still figuring that out like I don't really I'm trying to sep- you know, trying to figure out what exactly is it, but a lot of the stuff which I read about Buddhism is kind of really up my alley. Mm. So I uh, just kind of do that. Uh, yeah. Do you have any um, any daily practices or rituals that you like to do? No, I used to carry around this little gold plaque that was like a Taoist Buddhist thing, like to. For good luck, I used to carry it with me for the past three years. I was carrying this plaque with me on stage and all that. And just last just last year in August in Edinburgh, I just stopped. It had like a picture of uh, one of the Buddhas on it. And um, I, I this past year in Edinburgh, just last August, I stopped doing it because... I, I would carry it with me to stop me from... to give me good luck during the performance. Mm. And... Um, I was I wasn't having a great time in Edinburgh, and so I just went ah this isn't working. So I I yeah I stopped being so superstitious about it now. Yeah right. So I don't care if me yeah I used to carry that thing uh, every time I had to perform for good luck. Uh, so there's that. <laughs> um, I did start meditating, but that that's more of a mental health thing. I I approach it from a mental health thing, not 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 necessarily a religious or spiritual thing. Uh, I think I think it has a lot of health benefits. So I started meditating via an app. That's cool. What's the uh, what's the app? Oh, uh, I use. Um, well, I hope you get money for this. I, I'm I'm gonna plug it right now on your podcast. Uh, I I've tried a couple, but the one which I like the most is uh, Calm, and it's uh, guided meditation. 
it's called calm yeah 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 check it out it's it's good for beginners like me i don't get any kickbacks for for the podcast but i'm happy right. to promote um right. mind and body uh um awareness and well-being sort of stuff because i think it helps the yeah world. do you do you meditate I do. I kind of uh, dip in and out of having meditation practices. Last year, I, I did um, Qigong for... Uh, oh, Qigong, yeah. Yeah, I was doing Qigong for about four or five months, um, which I am going to get back into very soon. Oh. Qigong or tai, tai Chi? No, Qigong. Oh, okay, interesting. Um, have you done Qigong before? No, no. It's uh, it's awesome. Um, I haven't done Tai Chi. I imagine it okay. would be a similar kind of thing. But just having the daily right. practice of doing that, of kind of having right. that movement and that kind of breath, body, mind, spirit aligned alignment. Right. Sounds, so, that's a word. Yeah. Sounds like meditating almost. Yeah, it's like a flowing kind of movement meditation. Yeah. That's that's, that's that was cool. my experience of it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, spiritually, I was reading a lot of stuff in Buddhism, which I really kind of got behind, mm. um, which really kind of resonated with me. And the fact that I came to it on my own also kind of helped me with that. Yeah, a but, lot of the um, spiritual stuff that I've come to in, uh, yeah. has been on my own, and that's where I find I really connect to it myself. Yeah, yeah. I watched that uh, Scientology documentary, Going Clear. Okay. And that stuff, that was the scariest, like... You know, it made me really wary of uh, religion. Mm. Yeah, so I mean, I was, I was, I've, I've been a free thinker my whole life. Um, like um, when I was a kid, when I was sick, my mom would read the Bible to me for no reason. Like she isn't Christian. We just had a Bible. She would read it to me, and I always felt better. Mm. So I've always been like agnostic, interest agnostic, and then. Uh, this Scientology documentary just completely put me off it because I'm just like this is scary and I don't want to I don't want to be like brainwashed in any way. So mm. uh, I, I would say that documentary made me less spiritual than anything, but I still do meditate and um, uh, yeah, I'm still discovering Buddhism. So I wish I could give you a concrete answer on that one, but I'm still figuring it out. Uh, the latest thing for me though has been um, diet. Like watching what I eat, that's been a huge thing for me the past six months. Yeah, I've I lost uh I lost almost twelve kg in the last four months. Wow, that's that's very just impressive. By, just just by changing your diet. Yeah, just by changing diet. Yeah, changing diet. What did you stop or start eating? Uh, I stopped. So I went into it wanting to make some permanent changes as opposed to like trying to have a temporary diet. Mm. Uh, so with that in mind, I tried to make it as reasonable as possible. And also, I, you know, it's, it's been a evolution of it. So I started off just calorie counting. Um, and then I graduated to, without intending to, I didn't intend to change my diet. I just intended to calorie count and, and control my, my portion. But then it became quite naturally actually it became like oh I'll just um I stop eating dessert because that's a lot of calories and then it became stop eating uh white bread and stop eating um pasta and stuff like that so I ac- accidentally went paleo um but <laughs> ev- yeah not 
totally not intending to. I went paleo and it's just working for me. But I think the big thing is that uh, everyone's body is different. And, um, you know, what works for one person might not necessarily work for another person. And also, you have to you have to want to make a change. Right? No one can kind of force you to change. Like, if you don't want to change, then there's no point. And also, most of the time, you probably don't need to change, you know. You'll probably find just the way you are. So that's that's another there's a lot of there's a lot of layers to this like it's not just <laughs> it's not just do this and lose weight because then you first of all do you actually need to lose weight like why do you want to lose weight and then second of all it's like okay to lose weight instead of yo-yoing and trying all these fad diets you know and losing weight and then gaining it back up why don't you just make permanent changes to your lifestyle mm. and and you know you'll 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 see better results over a longer period of time and um, the other thing is everyone's body is different. So what works for one person might not work for another. And then the other thing is that you don't have to go cold turkey. Like you can ease into it, um, you know. Yeah, people get but, stuck in the yeah. extremes, don't they? Yeah, get stuck in the extreme, which is no good. And um, um, I mean, I, I've, I will say that for me anyway, once I got into it, I'm quite strict about being in it. So... I make sure I don't eat any like pizza or like or ice cream or any like zero. But that's just me because I if I eat a little bit I get addicted and I have to eat some more. Mm. So that's just me. So in that way you could argue that I'm being extreme in my own way because I don't even eat a little bit, but everyone's body is kind of different. You but know? you're not so, you, you know what works for you and you're just sticking I, to that. Sure. Sure, I think I know what works. I mean, I could be wrong, but I think this dietary science thing is something which is an uh, evolving part of uh, human society. I, 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 I sound so wanky saying it, but yeah, I think... Because if you told me like a year ago I'd be this person, I hate being this person. I hate being that person <laughs> who's like telling, telling you about the new age way to eat. But I think it's true, man. I think a lot of the stuff we eat isn't actually good for us. And we're st- we've been stuck in these habits of eating that... Um, have been, you know, accidentally uh, put into, introduced into humanity um, and we just get stuck in it. Like, you know, the amount of sugar we eat is definitely not good. Mm. Um, uh, and, you know, stuff like uh, the processed foods is probably not good either. And um, yeah, it's just a lot of layers to this, which I just find very interesting. And plus I've seen I've seen the results myself. So, you know. Mm. And I think if you make it a permanent change, then you're not going on a diet, you're changing your diet. Yeah, I think so. Um, which is more of a long-term kind of solution as opposed to, like you say, yo-yoing. Yeah. And I heard yeah. something interesting yesterday um, where someone was talking about how it's not necessarily that people need to change. In fact, it's not that people need to change, it's that they need to change the frameworks that they're working in or the way or the thinking that they've got that's led to this issue. In in this instance, it's, uh, you know, uh, a weight issue or a dietary issue. So it's not necessarily Mm -hmm. about needing to change anything fundamental about them as a human being, but actually just changing the framework that they're looking at food or consumption with. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Changing your relationship to food, definitely. That's definitely a big thing, yeah, because um, uh, 
once again, if you told me a year ago, I'd be like, man, you know, shut up, you stupid hippie. But <laughs> it's true. Like, you got to change the relationship. We have this weird relationship with food where, you know, we eat so much sugar and we we, we feel like eating, like, cake and dessert is, like, is natural or, like, eating... Um, uh, the amount of bread that we eat is natural and like it's not you're not supposed to eat that much bread or sugar the, man sugar is in everything you know so and it's more addictive than cocaine yeah it fires the same neural pathways as uh, crack cocaine yeah and um, it's not inherently bad it's just that it's the it's the craving that makes it bad because you can't just eat a little bit you keep eating more and more and that and so my, my the way I do it is that there's so much sugar in everything I'll eat whatever I want. I'll just not eat dessert or drink soda water. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll avoid stuff that's intentionally sweet because I know I'm getting my sugar from everything else. Mm. So, yeah. It's interesting, man. This uh, Dietary science is interesting because I don't think um, we understand enough about it. No. Do you know uh, David yeah. Wolf? No. Check him out. Um, he, he's, uh, he's a um, very kind of extreme food and nutrition and dietary uh, guy, um, quite spiritual. I'm not sure I necessarily agree with a lot of his political views, but um, his information and his wealth of knowledge about food and how we consume it and how we eat it is phenomenal. Um, and I learned a lot uh, just from listening to one podcast with him and then I went down a bit of a YouTube rabbit hole with him um, and I would highly recommend to anyone that wants to expand their knowledge of, um, of those kind of topics. I, th- I think that, uh, I think that all of this kind of food awareness and, um, mind body awareness, uh, you know, even things like yoga and, um, meditation are really part of a natural progress and evolution, uh, with people. And, you know, I think, I think you can see, um, a kind of collective, step forward in that direction uh in society at the moment i think so yeah i remember when i was a kid and um uh they were trying to teach us about the environment on sesame street uh i think it was um you're not one in a million you're one in five billion (laughs) think 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 about what you do what if all five billion were just like you and blah blah and it was just about how don't be a dick because the earth is precious and it was on sesame street and so we were like oh yeah okay let's be environmentally conscious and then all of us who watched that stuff growing up we grew up and then now we care more about the environment you know Mm. so i think it'll be the same thing with food hopefully where you know, everyone now is kind of like a lost cause and all the kids will be like, oh yeah, we weren't supposed to eat that much pizza. Mm. Like, those guys were idiots. They'll, you know, they'll be like, yeah, these stupid millennials or Gen Y, XY people were just, how did they drink that much soda? Or like, how did they eat, you know, it'll be like us looking back at the people in the 50s smoking and be like, what, you smoked when you had a baby? Were you an idiot? Yeah, yeah, that's, 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 yeah. A, that's a very interesting parallel. Yeah. Um, you said a few times about um, you know, not being a dick. I I imagine that that's quite a, that's that's an important value for you. Do you, is that something that you kind of think? I don't know. Is there is there a meaning of life for you, and would it be something along the lines of be kind and be nice to everyone? Don't be a dick. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. I never equated it to a meaning of life. 
I just thought, yeah, you should, but generally don't be a dick because, um, uh, well, there's two reasons. One is selfishly, you know, that's not how you, that's not how you achieve goals unless your goal is to be a dick. Period. Um, because everybody needs help, and all things equal, you're gonna help the person who you get along better with. Mm. Uh, and so there's that. And then second of all, uh, it's being a dick is not cool, especially if like like imagine if that person did that to you, like how would you feel? And if if you would feel pissed off, then then you shouldn't be doing that, um, unless you're you know autistic which and and you can't tell emotions in which case you would not know that you are being a dick but that's a that's a completely separate issue mm. um but uh yeah i, I basically if 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 <laughs> if you did to someone what uh you know if if they did to you what you did to them and you're fine with that then all right you have an argument that what you did is okay but but if you wouldn't like, you know, someone doing to you what you just did to someone else, then you probably shouldn't do it. Mm. Do unto others. Yeah, basically, yeah. Mm. I got to tell you, man, this is dude, you know, your reputation is everything, man. And people, um, yeah, word spreads in the industry really quickly. And um, it doesn't matter your skill set. Uh, you know, most of the time, most of the time, yeah, it, it does. It, people just want to work with uh, good people who are good at what they do, and good people is is it's an important factor, you know. Mm. The Dalai Lama said, uh, I'm paraphrasing, um, "My religion is the religion of kindness." Yeah, my religion is the religion of not being a dick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Put that on a t-shirt. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much, Ronnie, for uh, for chatting to me. I, um, I'd love to know what what was what was the first day of um, of being on the Daily Show. What was that like? Oh, it was cool. Um, first day was like orientation day. The show hadn't started airing yet, so we were just being introduced to the office. Um, before I came, they said uh, you can you should. I they said. If management is coming on the first week, so you can bring a manager if you want. And so my manager from Australia flew out to New York wow. <laughs> to attend. And he was the only manager there, so it was super awkward. <laughs> but yeah, it was like having your dad with you in high school. Mm, it was and your manager weird. happens so, to be your dad. Yeah. And so he, he, but he's a smart guy, so he read the signs immediately. So within like 45 minutes, he was like, oh, okay. I'm going to go. You hang out. And then he left. <laughs> um, yeah, it's funny. He was the only manager who came. So, uh, and he came all the way from Australia. He didn't even come from, you know, Los Angeles or whatever. But anyway, he, but he's, he's a good guy, man. I've been with him since my first five minutes. So, I, you know, I trust him with my life. Like, it's, it's, it's hard to find that kind of representation. Mm. And he was, he was obviously very excited that you were, you know, getting this amazing um, break in your career. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and what? So, what was it like the f- the first uh, first episode that you um, that you shot? Uh, yeah, it was cool. It was a little, 
Uh, I was a little nervous, but I could definitely feel myself rise to the occasion a little bit just because um, first time on The Daily Show, but not my first time performing. Mm. And there's a live audience in the studio, so that kind of makes it a little bit like live performing. So, you know, it 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 felt strangely familiar, but at the same time, very foreign and... Um, uh, yeah, it was it was it was cool. It was a really cool experience. Mm. Would you say that being on that versus being on problems was like comparing apples and oranges? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, absolutely. They were great for different reasons, man. That problems was my first ever TV gig, mm. and um, and I was wearing something that you could see my penis in. <laughs> uh, whereas in the Daily Show, I was wearing a suit and and no pants. <laughs> Yeah, no pants, but I was wearing underwear, so... But they were filming you from the waist up. Waist up, yeah. Um, Well, thank you so much, Ronnie, uh, for being on the show uh, and for taking time out. I know it's probably a lot later over there than it is here, um, and I guess you get to be my correspondent for one afternoon. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for having me. No, it's been my absolute pleasure, uh, and... There is one last question that I ask everyone um, before we wrap up the show. No, I'm just joking. Go for it. (laughs) The question is, what makes you silly? Uh, um, Man. Well, like, okay, are you asking what makes, what drives my personality quirk of being silly? Or are you asking... What makes me break out in silliness spontaneously? Yes. Oh, the second one? No, no. It, the, the question is grammatically ambiguous. Oh, okay. In that case, uh, what makes me silly? Um, honestly, it's the moments of when I'm just thinking in my own head and I think of something that um, like makes me laugh. And then I'll just start laughing. And uh, sometimes I'll look at people and I'll think of something funny that they have done in the past or that I imagine them doing. And I'll just point to their face and just start laughing. <laughs> and um, my girlfriend says that that's really inappropriate and rude because people, people think that you're laughing at them. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I am laughing at them. <laughs> but it's, <laughs> but it's, um, But it's not out of... It's not out of malice or like it's not meant to be uh, denigrating. It's mm. more like, oh, yeah, I can see something. I remember you did something funny once or I can see you doing something funny because I know how you would react to this hypothetical situation. And it runs so quick in my own head that I just start pointing and laughing. And, and like 90% of the time, it cannot be explained, like what I'm thinking of. Um, or rather... It, 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 it's inappropriate to explain what I'm thinking of or whatever it is. But um, yeah, that's probably what makes me silly. It's just being in my own head. Mm. Yeah. Do you have a, do you have an example that comes to mind of that? Oh man. Um, yeah. If um, <laughs> like, for example, if, if Sam, Sam Simmons, who we both know, um, has gotten into an argument with someone in the past. And if I see Sam again in person, which I see him quite regularly, 
Um, I will immediately think of the time he got so angry that he argued with this one guy over something which now seems really stupid. Or I laugh at how angry he got at this thing and how awkward you know it was when he got angry at it. And I'll just point to him and just start laughing. <laughs> yeah, and then I'll and then I'll tell him about. It. I'll be like, Hey, remember that time you did this thing? And yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I just remember that stuff. I just remember that stuff. I remember people doing uh, silly things, or I can imagine what it would be like if people did silly things, and it just cracks me up. So, well, thank you again, Ronnie, for being on coming up next. Uh, and no I really look forward to seeing how your uh, how your career develops from here. Thanks so much. Uh, likewise, here. Yeah. Love to see your next project. Yeah, thanks, man. I've got a uh, I got a film in Tropfest, yeah. um, which I can oh, flip over to you once it's um, once it's out in the universe. Oh, cool. Maybe your next project should be fixing your sound on your computer so you can do your podcast without asking <laughs> your guests to record it for you. That will definitely be my next project. 